This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Richard Voobes, it is wonderful to have you with us. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Peter, for asking me. Not at all. It's great to have you on. And um, I've actually seen you recently, and maybe for the the viewers, people can find you. Uh, Mainly, I think your focus is on your YouTube channel, as at Richard Vogues there on the screen, and the links are in the description. Um, And we're going to look at one of your... um, I think one of your set of videos was should we be disruptive? And that opens up a whole range of issues, that playlist you've done. Um, But uh, for the viewers and listeners, a lot of our US-based viewers and listeners may not have come across you. Um, You go under many different titles, The English Couple, The Bold Explorer, uh, and where you explored British history, uh, traveling all over and, and looking at what it is to be English and understand that. You started that back in 2011, I think, so 13 years ago. But over the last year, you've moved and you did a video on it to highlight that you were moving into more opinion pieces Mm. um, and to give your thoughts on, I guess, the the tyranny uh, which we all face. Um, And a range of your videos all about common law, which we'll maybe touch on as something which I really um, have stayed away from. Uh, talk about privacy, uh, King Charles to attend COP28, uh, why are so many airline pilots dying, um, the fear monster is dying, time to take back control. I mean, a lot of the issues and areas that uh, that we certainly address here at Hearts of Oak. Uh, but maybe... First of all, to start with, uh, that that was a big change and uh, a big change in focus from actually exploring uh, British history, looking at England, uh, and actually you've changed your focus, and that change of focus has come with a a massive change in reach as well, an increase. Maybe we can start there before we get into should we be disruptive, and so tell us about that change and what triggered it and what that has meant. Well, as you said, um, and and thank you again for bringing me on to your program, Um, my original focus was looking at the country I live in and the country I love, uh, which is England, and heritage, landscape, nature, and all those sort of things. I was, initially, I was quite interested in the fact that England was, was kind of being um written out of history we were great britain um but there was scotland and there was wales but if you were english it it became a difficult thing for some reason and i wanted to sort of reclaim the flag and say what's wrong with proud of being english not for any overly national interest just to say look at the beautiful buildings look at the wonderful geology and the landscape and of course the nature. But as I was making my videos, I became more and more aware that actually we were building over and destroying this wonderful land with lots of new builds whose architecture was quite bland and quite mean. 
um, and smaller and smaller and and it was all about money and we'd sort of lost I think a lot of our heritage and the the things that people had fought for in the wars and and then of course that made me very much aware that the government uh, was pushing ideas down that nobody really wanted and if I started to talk about some of these um, one world government policies that were influencing our government and then being pushed on us. I couldn't find very many people who'd sort of asked for them other than those that were arguing for the um, global warming to be debated more. But it was all always on one side. So I found my audience just didn't want to talk about if I mentioned, you know, is questioned, is global warming a thing as it's been portrayed, man-made global warming? Um, people would either suddenly go, I'm not interested in your channel, just just like that, because I was questioning it, and they would whiz off. Uh, and same with friends. And then, because we went through Brexit, did you want to be the in the EU or out of the EU? And that became such a polarised thing. You couldn't say, well, actually, that's quite good about the EU, and that's quite good about not being in the EU. It was either in or out. And, of course, the referendum forced you to make a decision if you wanted to take part in it and I had my ideas because I'm old enough to remember before we were in it and thought well actually you know we did have an empire not that I'm arguing for that necessarily but we are able to stand on our own two feet and we don't need to keep acquiescing to the something that fits other countries that may not fit us and but it, again it was one of those things that you could not question uh, or if you fell on the wrong side of the narrative, you were always deemed to be stupid. Uh, and so I just accepted that I was obviously stupid for for my beliefs. Then, of course, we went through the uh, the period of three years ago when people were locked in their houses because something was floating about in the air that we couldn't see and was on every surface and was uh, liable to kill us left, right and centre. Um, and if you spoke again against that, the the strange effect of the general public of not wanting to address it or changing or questioning the narrative, even though eminent scientists were saying, hang on, we've got this great uh, Barrington declaration that says, "Is should we do this approach? Maybe there's another science. And then we continually got the, the notion that, no, no, the science is fixed or we're following the science. And of course, now all of that is up for question. But some of us were questioning it early on, but were shut down because of that. And so we came to last year, about a year ago, this this month, actually, in which I was watching GB News and Neil Oliver was asking about um, the fuel crisis that we'd seem to be coming into because there was a, a war going on, which nobody talks about at the moment because there's another war going on. So people have sort of got distracted somewhere else. Um, but anyway, we're talking about the full fuel crisis. And he said, well, people are suffering. What would happen if nobody paid their bill? And I thought, what a clever idea, you know, people power, because I've always thought grassroots is the, is the key, really, to a lot of things. So I made a video saying, is he right? And suddenly, and that was so different from what I was doing, but where I would get, say, I don't know, two to 3,000 views on a video, if I was lucky, over a week, I got 100,000 views over a matter of days and I followed it up with a couple of more, uh, others on a similar vein and suddenly I was I was then in the opinion market and going down the rabbit holes 
and regurgitating my thoughts on this and and the audience were just coming in swathes and uh, very soon I'd hit the 100,000 mark and we're we're something something like 180,000 subscribers now um which validated that there is a an audience who desperately want to discuss this talk about it think about it and they knew they already knew the problems and some people were coming in because people were saying, you know, Richard, you're a bit like the Alan Titchmarch of the uh, conspiracy theorists, because <laughs> you're sort of Mr. Nice Guy, uh, but you're but you're dropping in the fact that they that, that the nasty people want to depopulate us, and so it became something that people could share with people who were perhaps not awakened to those ideas, which was which was great, and it was I never planned any of this, so um, yeah, so that was the sudden growth, and and here are my pretty much a year later, going, wow, what a journey. Oh, I love it when things happen, you don't plan it. Same here. Uh, my background in politics, we mentioned the, the wonderful Liz Phillips uh, and, of course, working with her in politics and then moving over. And And I've loved part of the media side of engaging with people uh, that we would probably have very similar views on many issues, yet you focus on YouTube. We focus on alternative platforms. You're more UK based in England where we are a lot of European, international, and it's lovely how those connect together um but if i can ask you the the whole issue of being disruptive and it's something which i think we've all thought about uh over the the tyranny which we have faced uh under covid in the last three years and um there are a number of areas but i think the the political pantomime we have seen in the last few days and i think uh we have seen westminster the national politics set up to actually have consensus and just keep it going. Uh, don't rock the boat. Don't come in with massive alternative views. And you just step by step ticks over. And it's fun when you see someone actually calling the government out, like what has happened. Not that I believe we'll see any change. Um, I mean, how do you see that kind of national politics? Um, are we purely post-party politics? Uh, were, did you engage in politics? Do you engage less now? I mean, how do you see that kind of national political side happening? Um, well, going back, as you say, did I engage in politics? I mean, you know, growing up, you're aware my parents always voted conservative. Um, I think because of my interest in landscape, nature and heritage, it, um, and and living on the south coast here in a fairly affluent town, it felt perfectly normal to vote conservative. I thought, as I and I, I've never been terribly political in the past. I always assumed that the conservatives were about conserving things, as in the name and keeping traditions and customs and and all of that. And and of course, in recent times, I've seen that that's not what they're about at all. Um, and so that's questioned now when I've gone into the uh, the voting booth and, and thought, well, what am I actually voting for? But then I look at the other party and you think of the Labour Party as the as the only opposition that's that's likely to to make a big difference and get in. And we've seen how that's been changed from what it originally was. And my sister is is very much a, a, a Labour person, believing in she she works in the NHS, so she's very much in believing the rights of people and um, of workers and and those sort of things. Um, and I've been self-employed, so 
of course, I've been self-employed most of my life. So I believed in a small capitalist society in which independent uh, sole traders, small family run businesses can thrive. And I'm totally against these very large corporations that seem to dominate the landscape in every town and, and across the world and, and, and knocking out the small independents. So um, it, it's very difficult to find a home now, I think, if you are an independent, uh, self-employed person, because none of the, the parties um, represent me. And then, of course, you've got, as I have gone through this last year's journey, of realising that as individuals, as sovereign people, we are living under corporations, that we live now in corporate Britain here, um, and that the government isn't even a, an assembly. It isn't what you think it is. It is this for-profit corporation. And when you look at both parties, none of them represent the, the two sides, shall we say, of a, of a country anymore. They seem to be, you, you, you've either got tyranny or increased tyranny, it seems to me, and depending on where you want to put. So, and the other thing is, when we vote, we're voting for a pre-selected bunch of nutters, it seems to me, rather than electing our own people who we could vote for. Um, and, and it seems if you're sovereign... Um, you should be electing people in your area, not those that have been put up and says, well, I'm going to be your candidate and, and you've got no choice. And I think the whole system is wrong. And now I just feel, uh, and I've, I suppose I've come to this because of the huge awakening that the whole parliament system itself, the whole two-tier system and the MPs and everything is over. Um, and and it's none of the above, and we need a completely new way of governing um, or or um, managing, I suppose, administrating the country, uh, rather than this this government that's decided that it is sovereign and not the people, that they are our masters, and that we somehow are their servants. And I I can't square that anymore. Um, and and. You know, using things like common law um, or natural law, just the logic of that seems to harmonize with me. So you, man comes first. Man is on the planet and he looks about and he goes, well, if we don't organize ourselves, we may not get stuff done. It, it would be better if we could organize it ourselves. So let's arrange for a bunch of people to sort of run something like a parliament uh, but it means that man's organized that. So man must come first. The creator is in charge, not the created. But it, it does seem now that the, the creation is is coming back and saying, well, actually, you know, the monster is now in charge. And I think that that is over. And, and the more we realize that we we the people have the power, hence being disruptive to them um, and, and claiming back our responsibilities, what we we ought to do, because otherwise we are going down, as we've all seen, a very dark passage in the history of humanity. The whole common law is intriguing, and I've had many conversations with Liz on this, and I am extremely sceptical of it. I, um, 
you know what it's like whenever you do a lot of interviews, a lot of topics, uh, there are only so many things you can actually delve into and understand. Um, I'm down enough rabbit holes without necessarily going down other. And that's something I've left to the side. Um, but kind of I see that we are fighting with within the system and I don't think that we can use the legal system on our side or the political system on our side. Um, and this whole concept of common law that actually we can remove ourselves from that system um, and it kind of I'm I'm still trying to work through that and it's not that I can be disagree with it it's that I haven't had the time to delve into it so may, maybe touch on that and why is that a solution and part of the disruptive model well um I think, well, let me first of all explain, I'm, you, you know, I've only been doing this a year and as like you, you know, you touch on so many subjects, but common law keeps coming up or natural law, God's law, so many variations of it, the freeman of the land thing, the, the law of admiralty, there's, there's so much to it. And I interviewed um, a group, the common law group in Herefordshire only yesterday in the video uh, or the day before it went out yesterday. And I asked them, plainly you know can you give me a definition of common law that my i can hand to the viewers and they said it's common sense it is ultimately when it comes down to it is common ruling by common sense in a way what makes logical sense to you and i um if we're all for example if we're all born equal i.e we come into this world with nothing what gives anybody else the right to be above us and to say, you will be my slave unless we agree to it? Yeah. And now in life, we, we do agree that we will um, acquiesce to certain things because it makes sense to. So, for example, having rules of the road. Uh, so here in, in England, we drive on the left. And it seems sensible that if everybody drives on the left, we're not going to bump into each other as we drive up and down the roads because the coming traffic will also be well be driving on our right, but to them it's the left, if you see what I mean. And and of course you you have that in different in different countries. Um, so 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 some rules just make perfect sense that we can agree to rather than just saying we'll drive any or where whatever we like because we're all just sovereign individuals. So. Clearly, we need a set of rules that make sense, but it's where we have the rules get tied up into these things called acts and legislation um, at the legal. And, and you've got legalese, you've got the uh, people who are administering this, taking two oaths to a private bar guild association, a guild of your judges, your clerks of the court, your solicitors and barristers who who are effectively, again, part of a corporate um, world that are there to make money. And, and of course, the history of all of this goes right back to the uh, to Roman times, to the Vatican, part of canon law, um, in which, I mean, again, you know, how far do you want me to go? Um, in which the, they needed a flat... I'm going to put it like this. They needed a flat earth, but not the flat earth as in flat earth theory about the planet, but a, putting people on paper so that they can be administered. So we as living 
people with blood in us and um, brains and flesh and all of that. The corporations can't deal with us. They need to have a, a fiction version of us, which is why we have capitalized names. And they deal with this. And we sort of act as the agent for these fictionalized names. So the Richard Vobes that you see on a bit of paper isn't really me. It's just it's a representation of me um, so that they can um, they can deal with us on paper. And it's all done on paper. I mean, everything is done on paper. We always have to uh, either agree to something or we rebut something you know, with with parking fines and poll tax and uh, council tax and and all of that when you go into the courts and acts are you, you know it's theater that's why it's called an act it's not it's not law law is more to do with things that are immutable you know the law of gravity you can't change the law of gravity um common sense in a way is 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 common to most people don't hurt someone don't murder somebody because you're you're damaging them you're hurting them you wouldn't want it to happen to you so i think we can live by a number of very simple policies if if i can use that word or laws would be better rather than having a whole load of legislation that most of us don't know what are and and we only have to look at the solicitors when you go into their li into their rooms and they've got all these books of case studies and laws and this that, and that. and how is man ever supposed to memorize all of this and try and stay on the right side you you can't but you can say if you do no harm do no damage um that's something very easy and if if you have a problem we could go back to the system that common law used to have and have our members of our community, our peers, 12 juries, to sort of make the decision whether we've been behaving properly or even if the law itself is, is sensible because some laws that get made might not be sensible. You know, some, some of the legislation we've got, if you accidentally drive into a bus lane at nighttime and there's no traffic and a camera takes a photograph of you, where's the crime, really? Where's the victim? No one's been hurt. And yet you'll get a ticket for whatever it is, 50 quid, 100 quid, and then a whole load of things if you don't pay. It. And yet all you've done is you've traveled a, a conveyance on tarmac in a painted box that someone's painted and you've been penalized when there's no ve you know so some of it is just ridiculous and your your 12 just men and women sitting around ought to be able to say well actually you know that's a stupid rule if it's three o'clock at night there's no other traffic where's the damage where's the pain why are we stressing people and um, but we we have that system and of course now we have cameras everywhere and we have these rules coming in, which are stopping people from traveling one side of their town to another. Um, and people are taking the biometrics in the in the um, supermarkets. And we have this this advent of the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, programmable money that somebody else could make the decision whether you have the right to buy something or not. Well, this is absolute tyranny. And again, this needs this this is not humane it's not it's just anti-human uh, policies and so i think a much simpler system can be worked and sensible people with common sense could work that out um 
we've um, looking at politics, we've seen fewer and fewer people engaging in the process. And I think when I grew up, I would have been more of the Australian, you know, you should make it mandatory. Everyone should participate. But then when you look at the candidates and you realize actually, one, it doesn't make any difference. And two, there's no one there that actually believes or stands up for anything, uh, which I think is right in society. Um, I mean, how, where does that go? Because you look over in France, you've got the, the yellow vest, you've got uh, actually on the streets, and it's part of French culture to to push back, to, to, to remove yourself from the labour market, uh, to fight back. Uh, we kind of have a more shrug of the shoulders. And I'm kind of, when I look at the political, I think, how low does that dissent in terms of not engaging in the political system, um, how bad does that have to be until something changes? And is simply just not voting, is that enough disruption to the system to bring any change? Well, I think one of the problems is that we have, and and I think it is um, in t- intentional, we have been dumbed down. We've lost interest in our local environment um, we used to have radio stations, local radio stations, not regional radio stations, that talked about the things that went on in our environment. We used to have local papers. Um, and slowly and slowly, I mean, the Internet sort of killed a lot of that because podcasts and, and other things came along, of course. But And we've just taken our eye off the ball so that at a local level, the councils can start to bring in measures We've lost that sense of going to a council meeting and thinking of the town as our town or our village, whatever, and saying, actually, no, I don't want that. You know, in, in every now and again, I'll see a, a lamppost with a notice that they have to put out to say, oh, we're going to make these changes to this road or we're going, you know, these people have got a, um, they want to put an extension on which will block out the sun of your house. But most people aren't reading them. People have lost that sense of the importance of being active in their community. Um, and we've all been distracted with all this technology and the games that people can play and the, you know, the Netflix series is. And more and more, the government said, well, we'll do that for you. We'll do that for you. You don't have to worry about that. We'll do it. And, and I feel that this we're in this process now or this moment in time now where we've really got to wake up and say and take back the responsibility for things again and not continually say oh the government should do this for us or the council should be doing that you know you see some litter on the ground you should pick it up we should just get back into that mode of this is our road this is our street this is our neighbors these are our people we've lost all of that um that we used to have youth clubs that kids would go and do things together uh, now they're stuck behind their phones and again i think that this is not only is it p- progression of technology but i think it's also hugely manipulated that we are are not engaged in the way we saw during the pandemic that uh, a lot of the pubs were closing but they were closing before that you know the price of of beer um, and the amount of tax that people are having to pay on on basically socialising and being in each other's company um, 
in which you would sort of put the world to rights. You may not do anything because you might have been too blatted to actually do it. But but the general interest in your town, and of course we've seen um, a lot of migration um, in which we have people from different places and people also have worked now. They, they're moving around um, the country t- for their different work. So then, and, and jobs aren't lasting as they were. People change jobs every two or three years instead of being in a job for life. Now, I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. It's just all these different things seem to have made people no longer put roots down in a place and think of it as their place. You know, you think about the old days when your door was always open, your mum could just pop in, a neighbour would go, oh, come, have you got any sugar? All this sort of, all this neighbourly stuff. Now, you know, we're very guarded. We don't know who our neighbours are anymore. We've got those dreadful, well, I haven't, but people have those dreadful um, doorbells with cameras on so you can see who people are. Probably uh, sensible to know who people are coming to the door because they might be bailiffs and you may not want to engage with them. But but that's taking, you know, all this technology is then taking data from you and it's and and we see the surveillance technologies going up and, and, and all of this and 5G. But people just are not, we, we have slowly and slowly, we have become more isolated from each other and we're not doing what we used to do And I think that's the biggest problem. And it's great to see that more and more grassroots um, initiatives are coming up, trying to bring people back together again, because it is it is people power that will push back against the tyranny. And when you talked about that individualism, I wonder, will that get worse with the push against the surveillance system we've seen with that moving, I know you've done a video on this recently about privacy and trying to regain your privacy, fighting for that. And we realize that actually we are the commodity, that we are being sold our information, us, and that mm. is valuable these days. Um, and kind of how does that fit in? Because you're right, we don't really know those around us or neighbors. We've got that kind of a level of privacy, but on the other side, actually because of the online world and what's creeping in um we have zero privacy uh, and do you think it's possible to to regain that and that is part of the disruptive mechanism of regaining control over our own lives yeah well i i mean it is down to us at the end of the day it is down to us to realize what's going on and i think some people um probably not enough but some people are beginning to to become aware that uh, and and the interesting thing about this of course is i mean i people ask me to do talks at at events and in village halls and things and you turn up and it's usually people in the 50s plus it's people who have one leg in the analog world um and and of course they've now got a, a leg in the digital world and that but they can see the benefits of the old days the younger people um, who have been brought up, and my children in, in their late 20s and early 30s, and I can see how, how even though I have my thoughts, that they push back against my uh, conspiracy nonsense. They think that, you know, I'm a raving loony. But they've embraced totally the digital um, separation world. And so it, it seems to me that it is down to our, this generation of slightly older people 
um, to encourage the rest to, to get together and do things. Um, I interviewed a, a young chap who was 30, 28 actually, and he said to me, and this was a real eye-opener for me, I'm 60, he said, I really envy your age group because you guys can talk to anybody in the street, at a bus stop, you have a conversation with people, you know, behind the, the, the at the till, in shops or whatever. You just have, you know, you, you're not worried about it. And, and I said, well, don't you? And he said, no, young people do not talk to, unless they know each other. He said, even going into the gym where you see the familiar faces, it's just, all right, watch out, how you doing? It's, it, you know, it's that because they've, they'd forgotten how conversation goes of just starting a conversation with, without wanting any more out of it, you know? Um, and I said, but you know, we'll go down and I'll say, Oh, that's a nice hat you've got on there. Or isn't it dreadful weather? Or, you know, do you want to borrow my umbrella or cool? Blimey, let me carry you back. You know, those sort of just, that's how I was brought up. But it does seem that young people aren't able to do that. And that to me was a huge eye-opener. And I thought, my God, you know, this is worse than I thought. Because if people can't, if younger people, the next generation, are unable to communicate on a very just simplistic level of hi, how you doing? You know, let me help you with that type thing, or have you heard? Or you know, I mean. When I was young, of course, you went to school and you'd been watching, I don't know, the same programs on the television. Did you see the Six Million Dollar Man yesterday? Oh, yeah, that was great. Steve Austin and his. And, but now, of course, you've got no references to start conversations with because everybody's playing different games, watching different programs. And uh, then they're not joining together to say, oh, did you watch that latest thing from Richard Phobes or whatever? <laughs> Unless they're of a certain age group in a certain bracket. Um, and that's, I think, is is a sad thing that we've we've lost conversation. And I think it's that it's having that disgruntled complaining that we do best. You know, cool, blimey, you've seen what's you know they've just had David Cameron's come back. Oh my God! Next they'll be getting Blair back. Oh no, he won't. He's going to be head of the W here. You know, and it's those sort of things that you want to get people having that communication. You made a comment earlier about, you know, those notices you see on the lampposts and mm. there's going to be a huge block. I know the latest one I have, sadly living in London, is it's only going to be a 34-story block that's going to be just across the way and it keeps getting higher. And uh, I find people complaining and actually the development that we have is the third time it's been submitted and they basically know that if they just keep submitting it with 10 centimeters difference, eventually they'll get their way. And I think you did a video on a local council, Biggleswith, I think it was, uh, about having a, a change. And and it, is that possible? People engaging at the, the local level, is that an example of what can happen or is the kind of the uni party system still got control of the local council side? Well, I think people generally are a bit like water and that they'll always find the path of least resistance. So if you can demonstrate a life that is better for them, on the whole, they'll all go along with it. So my uh, video about Biggleswick, which is a fictitious place. It's not a real place. Um, 
although it's it's growing in <laughs> in people's ideas in in yeah. reality yeah. is the notion that the people of a town just decided that the anti-human policies coming from the council that they never asked for should not happen and if they go to the council and simply say we don't want it and the council say well you're having it that the people who pay their council tax allegedly to the council um ought to be the ones that make the the ultimate decision and if they can't make the ultimate decision because that council won't do it then it strikes me that they should then set up a parallel council pay the money to that parallel council make the first council obsolete and nothing to do with them because if you can convince your town if it's a small town of, i don't know a hundred thousand people and eighty thousand of those are pretty much on your side you and they said well actually yeah we'll fund it and we'll we'll do it all properly we'll do the minutes we'll have the meetings we'll do elections um and we'll do the things we want and those things we don't want if we don't want a 20 mile an hour speed limit everywhere yes outside the school might be a sensible solution um but it might not be sensible for everywhere um and if we don't want cameras and if we don't want supermarkets coming in muscling and getting rid of the the independent companies that have are family run and have been here for years and part of our culture and generation and people have worked there and then they're putting in cameras and and photograph if we don't want that this is our town and i think that's what people have got to begin to realize that they do have the power we all have the power collectively and if we can if we can organize ourselves and if we can break away from that that spell of looking at the screens and and letting other people have wonderful lives and and sort of you know the people on the screen have all oh, this lovely life that they're having we could ditch that and actually have the lovely lives by saying to the council you're irrelevant if you won't do what we will do, we can still have our bins collected. We can still have the lights put on. We may want to not have those slightly uh, worrying blue light LED lights uh, that you'll keep putting up. We may not want the 5G, for example, because, to be honest, do we really need to download uh, movies in six seconds? Um, and and is there a nefarious use that they're also being put? What about the radiation? We should think about that a bit more. After all, you, you know, we're advancing with this technology. We don't know what the effect is in in 20, 50 years it will have on us. Maybe we should just slow down a little bit here. Um, I think people power could do that. And I, I don't see how, a, you know, the 20 or 30 people who, who sit around the tables and think they're very important with their pensions and their their portfolios in front of them, what they could do to it. I mean, admittedly, the government might be a bit upset, but if you've got 100,000 people saying it's our town, these are our buildings, we've paid for these public... And let's face it, the councils themselves are all going bankrupt at the moment. They're all in debt by hundreds, hundreds of millions. I think people could do a far better job. Absolutely. I think it's important and it is a, a call for action for people to re-engage. I think we have trusted... Uh, those in charge for too much for too long. Um, yeah. and it is time to to re-engage. Uh, Richard, I love 
it's great chatting with you. One of the things I love about the, the whole media space, having people on who you actually haven't met and meet for the first time and have on. And I think what you're doing in your channel actually does provide hope because you realize people are maybe less concerned about the green belt, but 15 minute cities actually are a concern. And, and you realize when you connect with people on issues that actually they realize does impact them um, and they want to speak up. And it is vital that the the public are educated um, and empowered. And I think what you're doing on your channel does exactly that. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time today. Oh, it's, it's my absolute pleasure. And um, I think we do need optimistic uh, channels out there because there's so many people telling us the problem. Now is the time to look for the solutions in an optimistic way. So I appreciate the chance to uh, come on and and uh, have an optimistic grumble. Oh, no, no, not at all. Always good. And thank you so much to the viewers. Make sure, and if you're not following uh, Richard, then make sure and follow him at Richard Vobes there on YouTube and uh, take advantage of the information he is putting out. So, Richard, once again, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Peter. Really enjoyed it. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.